She's Tori. And he's Nick. And this is I Want to Rewatch. An X-Files podcast, season four. Episode 11. El Mundo Gira. This episode is a Monster of the Week episode and originally aired on Sunday, January 12th, 1997 at 9 p.m. Woo, 97, New Year. Finally, yeah. This is the first new episode since December 15th, 1996. Obviously, they took a break for the holidays. On December 22nd, they aired a repeat of season three, episode 11, Revelations. And then... On December 29th, they aired a repeat of season one, episode seven, Ghost in the Machine. Whoa, deep cut. Yeah, digging deep for that one. And then on January 5th, they aired a repeat of Millennium season one, episode five, which is 522-666. And if you want to know what those numbers mean... You should check out our discussion of that episode on our Patreon. You can find a link in the show notes where we're covering Millennium on Mondays for Millennium Mondays. Yeah. Or you can look at a phone. Yeah, that too. But I feel like the Patreon thing is more fun because then you get to hear us talk about the entire episode. Yeah. And when I was doing some research on what aired between January 12th, 1997 and December 15th, 1996, I came across a little bit of weirdness because when I was looking it up, there's only one place online that I am able to find actual like TV schedules, right? Like you can find out like what shows were in play and what time, but if you want to find like what episode, like from day to day, only one place I can find that's called tvtango.com. They only list the seven o'clock to 11 p.m. slot. And sometimes they're just blank, especially if you get back further in time, like whole channels will be missing. And then sometimes just they don't know. So they did the, the time style will just be blank. And then something will air like before and something will air after. And you're like, don't know what played. But strangely, for December 15th, 1996, they showed that Paper Hearts aired, which it did. But they said it was a repeat. And I'm like, that's not huh. right. No. And then on December 22nd, they said Paper Hearts aired and it was new. And I'm like, <laughs> That's definitely not right. Because no. <laughs> even if they ran back to back on weeks, the new and repeat are not right. And no. so I couldn't find anything else that did it. So I actually went and I bought some goddamn TV guys on eBay. And I did some research and I found out that on the 22nd, they aired a repeat of Revelations. But in doing so, we always talk about how it aired Sunday, January 12th, 1997 at 9 p.m. But that's not always true because huh. Revelations aired at 8 p.m. If you lived in Nashville and ah. maybe in some other places because the TV guides from Saturday, December 21st for that week is actually one that has two pictures of Mulder. One is half his face and is hot and one is half his face and it's cool. And so I bought both because. You know, you got to, right? You got to have the whole face. And one is from Long Island and one is from Nashville. And the Long Island one, X-Files airs at 9 p.m. And the Nashville one, X-Files airs at 8 p.m. And the whole schedule has moved forward. Like The Simpsons is on at 7. And then some show called like Ned and Stacy is on at 7.30. And then X-Files is on at 8. And the same shows are in 
New York, but they're at 8, 8.30, and then 9. So I don't know if that was a regular thing in Nashville, if it was something special, because it was like the week of Christmas, and they just moved their whole schedule forward. It didn't seem like they were doing any super fancy special programming that night, but I don't know, because I'm not going to go buy a bunch of TV guys from Nashville, because <laughs> one, I don't even know where I'm getting them from until they show up. It, right. Specify, because it's on the inside, usually, when you find it. Except the Long Island one has a big old stamp that's all like, Long Island edition, probably because there's so many different neighborhoods and boroughs and stuff. They had to, you know, whatever. Yeah. So, yeah. If you're going to buy it and in then, a newsstand, you want to make sure you get the right one. Yeah. And then I also bought the one for December 14th for the previous week because I want to find out what was going on. And then that one actually is from Tampa, Sarasota in Florida, which is East Coast. So it doesn't answer my question because I don't know. I think Nashville is not East Coast. I think that is central, I believe. So I don't know if that was something that always happened. Like it always aired at eight. They were always like, they just like used the East Coast feed and just aired it earlier. Well, you know, I don't know if you remember this, but on TV all the time when they would give times, it would always be like, they would show the ad for the show and then it would be like, at nine, eight central, or like five, four central. So it was always an hour. You're before. Right. So I think that's probably what happened is that for some oh, reason the central time right. zone I was always that. airing stuff, which I never understood why. Like if you lived in the central time zone, you were getting everything an hour earlier. But that seems to maybe be the it way wasn't it worth because if they were actually transmitted it either via cable or over the air. I mean, a lot of TV was airs, which is why you need like an antenna to pick it up back in the old days for cable, right? Then. They wouldn't have to keep sending it like they would just do it like we're going to send an East Coast feed or we're going to send a West Coast feed. Right. And so like Mountain and Pacific would run similar and then maybe Central and Eastern would run Pacific because then you're only an hour off. But like being three hours off, that'd be a big deal. Right. So maybe that's what they did. Maybe so that maybe, would make sense. So maybe Mountain and Central always got screwed just in opposite directions. Yeah, maybe. I forgot. TV was weird back in the day, man. I also forgot when I was doing these, I forgot that they used to give you the little codes after the TV show in the TV guide. So you could enter that code into your VCR. So it auto program it for you, which is funny. Yeah. If you had a fancy VCR that did that, not all of them did, but yeah. So fancy, fancy. Yeah. Yeah. Life in the nineties. I also forgot how many goddamn inserts are in a TV guide. Shit. <laughs> kind of flip through. This thing is like 20 years old. So I'm trying not to destroy it. And like, there's just like these hard, glossy inserts, like every five pages or something. I'm like, ah, I'm trying to find out what's going on. So <laughs> not break the spine, rip it apart. Because collector's items, David, the company's face, it got both versions. <laughs> so, yeah. Gotta keep anyway. those. <laughs> yeah. So weirdness, 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 weirdness. So, yeah, so yeah. when we say it aired at 9 o'clock, sorry, Central Time people, it actually aired at 8 o'clock. Too yeah. bad. We're, we're doing this on West Coast time because that's when I used to right. watch the X-Files. So Because we're West Coasters, right? We're the we left are. coast. And so that's all that matters. So Yeah. Yeah. So, Tori, what happened in this episode? Now that we <laughs> bored everyone and they're like, oh, shit, Nick's <laughs> on one of his things again. <laughs> they're just like, skip ahead, skip <laughs> ahead, still going, skip ahead. 
Yeah. If this was a YouTube video, we'd have all kinds of people saying, can you please put chapters in the video so we can skip ahead, Nick, going on and on about fucking TV guys. I think it's interesting. So. I don't know. It's fascinating to me just because, like, I remember living in those times and it's interesting to be like, well, what and is you solved show? it. You solved the problem. I, and, and in real time, too, because we had talked about this before and we were like, that's weird. And you just solved it. Yeah, so just my job, brain Tori. just clicked. I remember all those ads on TV that'd be mm-hmm. like, you know, eight, seven central. Yeah. Yep. Boom. Nailed it. Good Anyhow, job. in this episode of the X-Files that we're about to talk about, after a murder and a mysterious rain at a migrant camp, locals tell stories of a chupacabra. Mulder wants to find the monster, but Scully finds evidence of a strange enzyme that causes rapid fungal growth. They must find the man who was at the scene of the murder, as he may be a killer or he may be spreading a deadly pathogen. Or he might be a chubacabra. Yeah, I mean, that's also on the table. That's also an option. That's chupa. Chupacabra. Yeah. This episode was filmed in British Columbia, Canada, and it was written by John Shibon and directed by Tucker Gates. This is Shibon's third X-Files writing credit. His previous episodes were season three, episode seven, The Walk. And season three, episode 18, Tesos Dos Pichos. Mm. If you've listened to us discuss those episodes, you know how we feel about those. So, Or just listen to the end of last episode. Yeah. Uh, he will write or co-write 24 X-Files episodes, including one that he'll direct. Mm. His first co-writing credit will actually be the next episode, where he writes with Vince Gilligan and Frank Spotnitz. Whoa. So, should be interesting. This is the second of two episodes directed by Tucker Gates. The first was season three, episode 19, Hell Money. Oh, that one was actually, I mean, that wasn't a bad episode. It was directed. No, it was good. It was horrifying and scared the crap out of me, but yeah. Oh, but right. I just, I try and block it out because, oof. Yeah, yeah, it's not bad. Mm -hmm. Funny how that resurfaced in a millennia episode, too. Your fear. Chris Carter is just trying to give me nightmares. I guess. Yeah. And in case you're wondering why I'm talking about Paper Hearts airing repeats and reruns and what aired instead on this episode, it's because we normally do the what aired before on the episode after, not before. We actually talked about whether we should do it on that episode or not. We figured it fit better here just because. Yeah, exactly. It does seem weird. I admit it. And I know you don't care, but I do. So that's that's why that's That's our reasoning. Not only am I the co-host, I'm the producer, and I'm the editor. So guess yes. what? Whatever I want to do kind of goes in the episode. It's true. Ah, it's ah, true. Ah. <laughs> Nick always cuts out my best lines. No, I'm just kidding. I do. I do. All your coughing and wheezing. Yep. All the time. <laughs> I'm asthmatic. Okay. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're just procrastinating. Let's get into it. So this is all staying in. This is all this is comedy gold. No, anyway. I know, but we're just procrastinating <laughs> talking about the episode. We got to get oh, to yeah. it. Yeah, okay. At some yeah. point. <laughs> so we see a bunch of people, and it's dark, and they've got candles, and they're all talking loudly and excitedly in Spanish. And then finally, a woman, Flaquita, calls out for everyone to listen to her. She says it was a terrible thing, and they're not going to believe it when she tells them. Some say it's a fairy tale. But she saw it. And then we flash back. We have a migrant workers camp in San Joaquin Valley, California. 
a truck with a white dude standing in the bed rolls in as people, including Fakita, watch as the man on the back puts down a crude ladder and then laborers climb up onto the truck. One man, Soledad, kisses a woman, Maria, and says, I love you as he's leaving for the day. And then as he gets on the truck, another guy is watching. His name is Eladio. He turns and smiles at Maria and Maria smiles back at him and he calls her his love. And she says she's not his love, but she does it all flirty. Hmm. And then he comes over and then I stand like right in front of her and she's all stop. Your brother will see you. And he says, you're breaking my heart. And we see Soledad watching from the truck. So mm-hmm. mm, and Eladio <laughs> couldn't even wait she, till he pulled away. Come on. Guys. I know, man. Damn, dude. <laughs> And at what point they turn and face the camera, which means they must see him, but like they don't apparently, I don't know. So there might be some directorial issues possibly with that. Anyway, but Eladio asks if she's breaking his heart. And she says no. And the truck pulls away and Soledad is staring. And Maria and Eladio just keep on flirting. And Flaquita comes out and is like, Maria, what are you doing? The goats are getting away. And we see a bunch of goats running up a hill. They're taking off. And so Maria chases after them. And then Eladio closes the gate before chasing after her. And Fakita tells another woman, two brothers, one woman, trouble. And then there's a loud crack, like thunder, and a super bright light. And it's almost like the Fatima thing going on. It's all like, and then it starts pouring rain. And everyone runs for cover. But the rain is yellow. And Fakita notices and says, it's yellow. And then the rain stops and everyone stares at the weird looking yellow rain. And then the goats come back over the hill alone. And Fakita calls for Maria and then runs over the hill towards where she went. And in a field, she finds Maria's body lying next to a dead goat with its mouth burned away. Its fur is stained yellow from the strange rain. And Maria's eyes and skin around her mouth look as if they've been burned away by acid. They're all oh. eaten away, like there's just black coals and like eaten up skin, and then all her teeth are showing like some old zombie, and it's gross. And then it's the theme song. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Acid rain. So, yep. yep. This episode takes place where I grew up and lived for like the first thirty years of my life, uh, and I can tell you so far, this is some inaccurate looking <laughs> shit. But anyway, just like yeah. Anyway, I mean, I, it's a big area, but like, I mm-hmm, no, yeah, okay. Anyway, and also the 45 second opening is back. Boo, it sucks. Get rid of it. Boo, yes, boo. I wonder so, if it's they have to fill those 15 seconds so they use the longer one. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. We've got three episodes of the short one, and then they just, mm, they just, they're teasing me. They're like, look, Nick, isn't this cool? And I'm like, yeah. I'll start watching the opening theme again. This one is good. And then they yanked it on me. Yeah. Mean. And Fukita is played by Lillian Hurst. She played Carmen Reyes on Lost. So I think that's where I recognized her from. She's also appeared on Arrested Development and True Blood. And she had a recurring role on a show called The Comeback. True Blood. We talked about yeah. that last episode. Hmm. Yeah. And Arrested Development, I think she played... Um, one of the maids at Lucille's penthouse, but I don't remember. Mm. I mean, probably. Probably, yeah. Yeah. And Alanio is played by Raymond Cruz. He's had recurring roles on My Name is Earl, The Closer, and Breaking Bad. 
which as we know is from our friend Vince Gilligan. Mm. He's also appeared on NYPD Blue and on White Collar. Whoa. Which is the show that I love. So that was fun. So we see Scully and she's standing over the body of the goat with its mouth burned away. And she's covering her mouth and nose with a cloth because apparently it doesn't smell any better than it looks. Yeah. Well, it's been there a, a little bit of time. There's like <laughs> yeah. all flies and stuff yeah. now. So it's looking well, even worse than it did before. It's, and they've yeah. removed Maria's body. So now it's just a goat. And she asks how long ago this happened. And Mulder, who's just like standing there eating sunflower seeds, replies, Tres DS, muy incredible. No. And Scully says, only the smell. He brought her out there under the pretense of investigating a strange death. Why are they standing in the middle of a field looking at a dead goat? He says the death was preceded by a 14 event. That's a highly unusual or infrequent meteorological phenomenon, also known as a transient. He tells her witnesses described a bright flash and then a hot yellow rain from a cloudless sky. 14 researchers call these liquid falls. Black and red rains are most common, but there have been reports of blue, green, and purple rains. Scully asks, purple rain? And Mulder says, yeah, great album. Deeply flawed movie, though. About deeply. Mulder tells her 14 events. Yeah. <laughs> Mulder tells her 14 events have been linked to alien encounters, cattle mutilations, and the kind of exsanguinated animal carcasses Scully was just looking at. Scully asks if Maria Durante's died in a similar fashion. Mulder assumes so. And Scully's like, you assume? No one's examined the body? And Mulder tells her that no one cares. They walk over the hill to the migrant camp, and he tells her that the victim and the witnesses are illegal immigrants, migrant farm workers. Mulder thought it was important to talk to them before they migrated. Yep. So as used here, 14 is actually a blanket term relating to or denoting paranormal phenomena. The term itself appears to have been coined by Ben Heck in a living tribute to Charles Hoy Fort, who lived from 1847 to 1932. He was an American writer and researcher who investigated such phenomena. And that was in Heck's review of Fort's 1919 book, The Book of the Damned, wherein he declared... I am the first disciple of Charles Fort. Henceforth, I am a Fortean. It is more commonly attributed as an adjective to those who pursue such phenomena rather than the phenomena itself. But it is still a valid, although less common use, which is ironic because Heck subscribed to Fort's philosophy was more about distrust of authority in all its forms, whether religious, scientific, political, philosophical, or otherwise. It did not include an actual belief in the phenomena enumerated in Ford's works. Huh. The first Fortean society was initiated in 1931. As a strict non-authoritarian, Charles Fort himself refused to establish himself as an authority and further objected to the creation of such a society on the grounds that those who would be attracted to join such a group would be spiritualists or zealots or those who opposed the science that rejected them Mm. and it would attract those who believed in their chosen phenomena and attitude exactly contrary to Fortinism. So Fortinism is kind of complicated because what it's usually attributed to, it doesn't actually believe in, it just believes in investigating such phenomena. So it's kind of interesting. Yeah. And I was a subscriber to the 14 times for several years. So 
Gotcha. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Also, flawed or not, Purple Rain brought us Morris Day and the motherfucking Times, Jungle Love. And they should have won that contest in the movie. So, yes, it is flawed. And never say an unkind word about the time. Also, James Silent Bob Strike Back is the only James Silent Bob movie slash Kevin Smith movie that I have ever seen. Uh, although I did see Dogma, so I guess that counts. I'm not a fan of Kevin Smith. And if you're wondering why I added that at the end, well, then you did not get the reference. So there. Yeah. <laughs> I did not get the reference. I've never seen Purple Rain. I have seen most of Kevin Smith's movies. Okay. Well, then you should have got the never say an unkind word about the time. It's been a long a time since I've seen movie. any of Kevin Smith's movies. I'm going to earn that explicit tag on this episode. Mother, mother, fuck. Mother, mother, fuck. Mother, 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 fuck. And then they go into Jungle Love. O-E-O-E-O. So, yeah. Okay. When you're selling the drugs to the kid. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I just, I remember that. that money in my hand. Yeah. I remember Clerks a lot. And like, I'm not supposed to be here today. And then I did see Dogma oh. as well. I've seen most of his movies. I think I might have saw Clerks when I was in film school in Bozeman, I think. I'm not sure I watched the whole thing. But yeah, I was trying to remember. Then I realized that the stuff I remembered from Dogma was not in Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back. So I was like, oh, I guess I've seen two movies at least. So, <laughs> I'm not a fan of Kevin Smith. I don't like Kevin Smith. Kevin Smith is in that same category as Stan Lee with me. So I don't know a fan. That's fair. I generally like Kevin Smith, but, you know, I haven't really been following him recently. So I don't know. So if he's done something really horrible recently, I just don't know about it. So I'm sorry. I'm not trying to, but I don't think he has. I feel like he's one of those people who's usually on the side of good, unless I'm incorrect. So I could be wrong. Yeah. Let's stop talking about yeah. it. But the time <laughs> should have won that contest in Purple Rain with Jungle Love. That's all there is to it. Mm-mm-mm. So boom, there you go. Purple Rain hot takes. Actually, I think pretty much everyone agrees that the time should have won if you were just basing it on like the performances. But you know, Prince is the star. He wrote it. So it's gonna win. So. That makes sense. Yeah. Anyway, back to the episode. Yay! So Mulder and Scully go to the migrant camp, and it seems pretty deserted. They open a door, and Flaquitas shouts, "La migra, immigration!" Right. That's what the translation is. Also, like in that whole discussion in the teaser, we had subtitles. They were speaking in Spanish. So sometimes we get subtitles. Sometimes we don't. Mm -hmm. I think we don't get subtitles when they just either you're going to get it from context or it doesn't matter. But or you or get translated by someone else. Yeah, exactly. Some of that going on in this also. Yeah. So, yeah. So people start running everywhere. And Mulder's like, no, no, not La Migra, not immigration. And then Scully repeats it and starts flashing her badge around. And Mulder's like, put your badge down. You're going to make it worse. <laughs> it's not helping, Scully. It's not helping. <laughs> yeah. So he's like, they don't want to take anyone away. And then Fakita asks what they do want. And he says that they want to know what happened to Maria Durantes. And Mulder repeats the question out loud. Like, you know, does anyone know what happened to Maria Durantes? And then Flaquita's like, El Chupacabra. That's what happened to Maria Durantes. So Scully has apparently never heard of El Chupacabra. So Mulder gives her and the audience an explanation. Mm-hmm. He tells her it's a Mexican folktale, which is not actually true. But anyway, and the small great creature, which has a big head and a small body and big bulging eyes. So he just like, see, first the light, then the rain, then the Chupacabra. It came and it ate away Maria's eyes and face. Mulder asks if she saw it and she says no, but everyone there knows it's the truth. Soledad comes up from behind them 
and says that she's a liar. The Chupacabra is nothing but a story. He knows who killed Maria. It was his brother, Eladio Buente. He killed her because she loved only Soledad. Mulder asks how he explains the yellow rain and the dead goat. Soledad says it's a trick for fools who believe in fool superstitions. And Scully's like, well, thank you. You've been very helpful. Scully's like, okay, finally someone talking <laughs> sense. Thank you, sir. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah. <laughs> so they walk back up a small hill and i think it's the same hill but go like yeah i think so area. yeah uh, and Mulder says it doesn't make a whole lot of sense scully says it makes perfect sense Mulder fell for it the 14 event turned out to be the oldest story in the world two men one woman trouble and scully says they've walked into a mexican soap opera and it's one for the local cops Mulder reiterates that the local cops don't care he doesn't know who does. Scully asks what they're supposed to do about it then. And Mulder says that she can find out what killed Maria. Go take a look at her body. And he'll try to find Eladio Buente. So then we're at the INS Service Processing Center in Fresno, California. Fresno! Yeah, I mean. Said. Yeah. I lived there for 30 years, people. I, know I, Fresno. I did not, but I have been to Fresno <laughs> many times. Just driving to and from places and stopping in between and. Had a friend who lived there for a while. So, yeah. yeah. And before Portlandia, which is where I now live, Fresno had its own spoof soap opera entitled Fresno. Starred Carol Burnett and everything. So, oh, nice. Yeah, it was like a take on Dallas, that kind of thing. Uh, gotcha, Fresno. gotcha. Yeah. So Mulder approaches Agent Lozano and introduces himself. He tells him he's investigating the death of a migrant worker, and he's looking for Eladio Buente, who hasn't been seen in three days. He thought he might be in INS custody. So Agent Lozano lists off names of people in custody, all famous and obviously fake names. Lozano asks what Eladio is wanted for, and Mulder says for the possible murder of Maria Durantes. And Lozano is immediately like, the Chupacabra? So clearly he's heard the story. Yeah, so he's heard the story, yeah. And Mulder points out, oh, you've heard of it, but you don't believe in it. And Lozano says these people's lives are small, so they need to make up fantasies to keep going. They feel hated and unwanted. Their passions become inflamed. They turn violent. And then they can't turn to the law. So they make up fantastic tales. So Lozano stands and he says, let's see if we can find your Eladio Buente. Yeah. I don't know if Fresno had an INS processing center back in the 1990s. And the department technically doesn't exist anymore. Uh, we've talked about that. I think we talked about it in season two, episode 15, Fresh Bones. Or mm-hmm. so I, we talked about it. I know we've talked about it before. Yeah, we have for sure. But it does have the West Coast Processing Center for the IRS. Okay. And I actually worked there for one season back in the 90s. So an INS processing center would make sense and would, you know, especially considering the area because a lot of farm stuff around there. So I do. So. Lozano, you can maybe guess by his name, he is a Hispanic person, and he is played by Ruben Blades, the Panamanian musician and actor. But we do that thing where we make sure that we have someone from a minority group disparage said minority group, because then it's not racist if you do that. So it's kind of gross. But Yeah, I don't know, because I think it is supposed to be a little, a little racist anyway. Like he's. Yeah, well, and also it's that thing of like, you know, he's Hispanic. So 
if you want to use that trope, you assume like, oh, he obviously at some point his family came over too. even though this is California. His family could have lived there their entire lives. And it's the white people who came in. Yeah, go there. So it's like that one. I can't remember what actress it is who just always says, like, you know, my family didn't come here from Mexico. Like Texas took over our land. Like, yeah, like we didn't. Yeah, except. Yeah. And so, like, you know, I don't know. Like, we don't know. We don't know this character's like ancestry. We don't know. Right. No. But you could make that assumption of and that is a trope in television and movies where like an immigrant becomes part of the system and then kind of turns against like their own yeah. immigrant thing mm-hmm. kind of thing because they become, you know, like, you know, not to like uncle Tom, that kind of business Ugh. anyway, but you know, so it's just that I hate it. It's gross. It doesn't matter. Well, and I think here it's supposed to underline the theme that like everyone sees these people as like, because what he's saying too, is that these people, yeah, it's that and we'll, can't turn I'll to talk the law that. and they're yeah. not there. I'll talk about that later. Yeah, this we will. Thing for is, sure. it's, it's one of those ones where they're writing it to say something. Yes. Without yeah. saying something. And yeah. Mm-hmm. So. yeah. And I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just saying I think their purpose there is to kind of illustrate the general feeling about, you know. Yeah. I also like camp. this is John Sheban's like second like episode about like Hispanic culture. I don't know if he's got if he feels he has a thing to say about it or what, but I mean I don't know his ancestry either. True, but I'm guessing he's a white guy. So looking at his photo, I don't know. He might have some and that's not for us to say, right? (laughs) Yeah, I know. It's just like this is the second one in a row. And it's yeah, yeah. I don't think if he is trying to say something, he's not doing it well. Yeah, no, we'll talk about that at the end. I got a lot to say about that. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Well, I'm glad to hear that you're on the same page as I am. Yeah. No, I agree with you. I just think it's they're trying to hammer home that point, right? But yeah, it's it's still yeah. not a great thing. Yeah. So anyway, off the soapbox and back to the episode. We're at the Fresno County Morgue. And we're at Fresno County Morgue. Although the Fresno County Morgue would be accurate because Fresno is in Fresno County. So that tracks. So you know, depending on where you put the punctuation, it works either way. Scully enters the morgue and tells the pathologist that she is investigating the death of a migrant worker. And the pathologist turns and says, Juan or Juanita. And Scully is like, doesn't know what she's talking about. And then she says, Doe, man or woman. And Scully says her name was Maria Durantes. And she needs to determine the cause of death to close out an investigation. The pathologist says that it sounds vaguely familiar, but she doesn't think she's been able to get to it yet. And Scully says, well, I'm a medical doctor. I can examine the body myself. So the pathologist tells her that it's in the fridge. And then Scully gets annoyed and points out the body she's working on isn't going anywhere. And the pathologist shows Scully the body bag and says that's her. And then they open it together. And inside, it's full of fluffy green mold-like substance all covering Maria's body. Ooh. Ooh. Yeah, it's gross. Gross. It's just weird. Like, Scully says, like, I can examine it myself. And then when she says, like, okay, go ahead, Scully gets all, like, well, what you're doing isn't going to like what? I don't understand. I I guess she's trying to point out some possible racism here. But then it's yeah, like, I don't know. It's just weird. Well, like Scully wouldn't appreciate someone doing that if she was working on a body and being like, well, what you're doing can wait because what I have is more important. She wouldn't appreciate that. And she just said she'd be willing to do it on her own and then is upset when the lady doesn't drop her work and go help Scully. like, Or at least point her to the body, though. Like, yeah, I don't know. So I think when the pathologist says Juan or Juanita, you said Scully doesn't know what she's talking about. I think she looks taken aback. Like, she looks like, 
Well, of, yeah, but I meant, yeah. So, I mean, yeah, she's because like, that's kind of a, she's like Juan or Juanita, and she's kind of like, oh, it's a weird way to put it because it does sound a little racist. And then she's like, doe. I mean, it, it doesn't does, have to be, but it's, but, uh, like, but it's also the Spanish for John or Jane. Oh, uh, no, I know John that, but I think doe. it's just the so, way this white guy no. says it. It kind of well, throws Scully. Kind of guy, oh, but. but I think it's the way the, the pathologist says it kind of throws Scully through a loop. And then she's just really dismissive of Maria and the body's been there for three days and she hasn't gotten to it. Yeah, so I no, think I that's think the, she's. And so I think that's, that's what she's trying to do. She's like, it's being written to like point out some possible yes, racism. Yeah, I think so. But then it's also just weird because she just said she'd be willing to do it herself. And so yeah. it's just not. It's not written very well. Again, it's that we're trying to do something, but we're not doing a very good job. Yeah, no, I agree with you. Yeah. So, meanwhile, Lozano and Mulder arrive at a holding cell, and Lozano says, This must be him. And Eladio is sitting in the cot inside, and he looks kind of distressed. Mulder asks why he's in solitary confinement, and Lozano asks the guard, who then answers in Spanish, and we don't get an answer, but Lozano says that the other detainees were given a lot of trouble. They didn't want to go near him, so they had to isolate him just because, like, basically they were complaints, and so they just took him out. So Mulder says that they think he's the chubacabra, and Lozano says that may be, but he can say with a tremendous degree of certainty that he's not Eric Estrada, which is the name on the intake form that he gave when they... Taught him. So he said his name was Eric Estrada. So Lozano knocks on the door and uses his real name. And Mulder says to ask him if he killed Maria. And so Lozano does. And Eladio says, No, he didn't do it. And again, this is all going to be in Spanish. And then Lozano is going to translate for us. Mulder tells Lozano to ask him what happened. And Lozano translates, There was a noise like thunder, but very close. Then lightning, very bright. It blinded me. I fell to the ground. And then I felt the hot rain fall on me. And when I could finally open my eyes and see, I saw the dead goat, and then I saw Maria. She called my name once. She was in a puddle of yellow rain. Something had eaten at her face, and I held her in my arms, and then she died. Then I got up screaming. And then Lozano says, this guy is better than Eric Estrada. Because the whole time, like, he's, like, very, like, animated and, like, crying and, like, yelling when he's talking. So he's, like, so Lozano's basically, like, this guy's putting on a performance. Yeah. So, Yeah. So later, we see Eladio is being walked to a transport vehicle. When the guards try and put him on board, everyone else protests, shouting and arguing, because they don't want this guy on the same transport vehicle as them. Because he's a chupacabra. Yeah. Mulder asks what's going to happen to him, and Lozano says he'll get 45 seconds in front of a judge, and then he'll be placed on a southbound bus. Mulder asks if there's any way to delay that, and Lozano's like, why? And Mulder says to try and solve the unexplained death. Lozano says he'd think the FBI would have better things to do, but he can go ahead and file the paperwork. By the time they process it, Eladio will probably be back here at the INS Center anyway. And then Scully pulls up in a car and she asks Mulder if he found Eladio. Mulder says yes. She asks if he confessed to Maria's murder and Mulder says, not exactly, no. So as they drive, Scully asks if Eladio told him what happened and Mulder says, flash of light, yellow rain. Scully tells him that he didn't kill her. She examined the body and she believes the cause of death was natural, albeit strange. Maria seems to have succumbed to a massive fungal infection. Aspergillus, according to the coroner. It's a mold found in dead leaves, compost, even household dust. 
And Mulder's like, and it can kill? Scully says, not normally. It's very common and usually quite harmless. But it can be lethal to people with immunodeficiencies like AIDS and transplant recipients. They also found high levels of bromine in Maria's blood. It's a pesticide used for soil sterilization and highly toxic. Scully thinks her body was so ravaged by the pesticide that a normally benign fungus may have compromised her immune system. Mulder says it still doesn't explain the flash of light and yellow rain and El Chupacabra. Scully says she knows he doesn't want to hear this, but she thinks the aliens in the story are not the villains. They're the victims. Oh, see what she did there? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. They come up to a bus that's parked half off, half on the road. And Scully's like, isn't that the INS bus? And we see people are fleeing from the back of it. So Mulder and Scully get out of the car and they watch several people run into the field and they go up to the truck cab and the windows are dirty. They open the door and inside the driver is dead, leaned back in the seat and his face is covered with bloody wounds and white flecks float in the air around his body. Yeah. His face is also like super puffy and gross looking. Uh Oh, yeah. Bulbous and little. And it's commercial. Yeah. So then Scully, wearing a mask, removes a sample of the dead man's skin and the white substance. And she comes out of the bus. And the area is now swarming with authorities. And Scully tells Mulder it appears the driver died of systemic shock brought on by what appears to have been another fungal infection. Mulder asks if it's the same fungus that killed Maria. But Scully says it looks different. She doesn't know what it is, but it was aggressive. The infection has already covered 90% of his body. He's still dressed, so I don't know what she was doing, but I guess she just assumed <laughs> it's under his clothes, too. So as she talks, Lozano walks up to the bus. Mulder calls over to him, asking if they found Eladio. And Lozano says they are able to round up most of the people who escaped from the truck, but not him. All of them say Eladio was the chupacabra and responsible for the tragedy, and they all ran the different direction than he did. <laughs> they weren't going anywhere near him. <laughs> Scully says he didn't kill anybody. Mulder isn't so sure, but Scully insists this is the work of a pathogen. Mulder isn't questioning that, but Eladio is the only connection they have to both deaths. Mulder asks Lozano to spare whatever manpower he can to find Eladio. But Lozano's like, man, we ain't got no manpower to go after one illegal. And then Scully says whatever Mulder hopes to learn by finding him. First, she needs to make a definite classification of the fungi taken from the victims. She needs to isolate it and get a sample to a mycologist as quickly as possible. So Mulder says that she should do that while he and Lozano go and find the El Chupacabra. (laughs) And I was like, yeah, Scully, Mulder doesn't need to hold your hand. You can go do science while he's doing other stuff. He doesn't have to stand around waiting for you to do it. But she wants him to witness the science so he knows how important her part is. (laughs) Multitask. You're in such a hurry to get things done. Multitask. That's why you're partners. Anyway. So then we see this barber and he's sitting alone in a barber shop and he's watching something on television and his shop is empty. So I don't know, make of that what you will. And Eladio opens the door and slips inside. He tells the barber he wants to go back to Mexico. He knows he has a truck. It's the one that brought Eladio here. Ooh, he's a coyote. And he begs him to have his driver take him to the border. He'll pay. He has no money now, but he'll pay after he returns to Mexico. And the barber's like, nope, I need money, not credit. That's how things work here. And Eladio swears he'll get the money, but he needs to leave. And the barber tells him to be at the truck stop at dusk. But if he has no money, he's not getting a ride. 
And then Eladio leaves. Yep. And I don't think the slur that we cut out of the scene was necessary for them to use on air anyway. No. Nope. Definitely not. So Eladio goes to where the day laborers hang out to wait for work. And a truck pulls up and the guy asks for two construction workers. Two men volunteer. So the driver goes to open the truck for them to let them in. But when he opens it, he sees Eladio is already in there. And the driver tells him he only needs two guys and he tries to pull Eladio out. But when he turns around, the two men are walking away because they don't want anything to do with El Chupacabra, right? Mm-hmm. So the driver's like, okay, I guess you'll have to do to Eladio. So he closes the truck. Yep. So then we're at the mycology lab at California State University, Fresno. Yay! I used to live <laughs> right across the street from the stadium. Oh, nice. Apartment. Yeah. And it was super loud every time they had a goddamn football game. Anyway. <laughs> Uh, and it actually is California State University, Fresno, CSUF. Fresno, they like to call it Fresno State. You'll always hear it Fresno State. It's not Fresno State. That's not how it works. We have a UC system and we have a CSU system. So, yeah, but I mean, like, San Francisco does the same thing. San Francisco State, you know. Yeah, but yeah. Anyway, Scully is looking at something under a microscope. And the mycologist, Dr. Steen, tells her she is looking at the most ubiquitous fungal spore known to man. Derma... <laughs> dermatophytosis? Dermatophytosis. Something like that. Derma... Okay, well, let's find out. Oh, dermatophytosis. I, guess I, I don't need to type that. I can cut and paste that. What am I doing? Dermatophytosis. Okay, so you do hit every syllable. All right. The most ubiquitous fungal spore known to man. Dermatophytosis. The Scully is like, athlete's foot? And Steen says it's one of the survivors of countless eradication efforts and unfairly overshadowed by the cockroach. Scully says our bodies have natural defenses against this kind of invasion. Even in the absence of an immune response, a fungi like this or the aspergillus sample she gave him, don't they need the right environment to multiply? And he says, yes, unless they have help. And he pulls a vial of yellow liquid out of a fridge and hands it to Scully. And she's like, what is this? And he says it's an enzyme he isolated from both her specimens. But that's about all he can tell her. It's unlike any enzyme he's ever seen. She says it's not the fungi, but the enzyme that kills. And Steen nods, saying it acts as a catalyst and an accelerant. And he demonstrates by taking a Petri dish and putting it on a lab table. He says it's black stain rust, which has been a cause of fairly containable crop blight here in the valley. He puts a few droplets of the enzyme into the petri dish, and it's all (laughs) boom. And so, yeah. And then he's like, man, if this got out in the public, yeah, would not be good. Athlete's foot, and yeah. So then Mulder is standing in front of a mural that includes an alien head and says, El Chupacabra vive. And Lozano asks some of the day laborers questions and he returns, and he tells Mulder, that Eladio was there. He got into the truck of a foreman named Culver. And Mulder gestures to the mural, saying the word is out. And Lozano says these people love stories to keep them entertained while they stand on a street corner all day waiting for work. And Mulder's like, so they really don't think he's the Chupacabra? And Lozano says, no, they're certain of it. Mulder asks if he told them about the fungal infections, and Lozano says yes, but they wouldn't listen. They're more interested in what will become of Eladio when his brother finds him. He'll probably kill him. And Mulder's like, we need to find him first. So the graffiti is interesting because it translates to El Chupacabra, I live. Because it's using the yo conjugation of Vivir. 
It also doesn't have the starting inverted exclamation point. So it is possible the intended meaning was not what was actually written because El Chupacabra lives would have not had the accent over the E. So it would be V-I-V-E and not V-I-V-E with an accent. In addition, it would also need to have both punctuation marks. Also, Lozano. And he is like on board with being racist. Uh-huh. Yeah, no, he's not. I mean, I guess if you work for the INS, that kind of says what kind of person you are. I mean, not that everyone who works for the INS was evil, but like. Mm. Well, yeah, look at um, Tolico, right? That guy was INS, basically, right? And That's so, true. And he was a good guy. Yeah. Yeah. This guy is definitely not, you know. Yeah. So they kind of messed up the translation on this and then also forgot the upside down. Yeah. I don't know much about Spanish verb conjugation, but it's probably very similar. I think it's similar to French. So, yeah, they, they'll 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 mess it up later, too. But we'll talk about that when it happens. <laughs> so, yeah, I was like, I don't think that's right. I mean, I took Spanish. I'm not very good at it, but I took it. And I was like, I don't think that's right with an accent. And then I looked it up and it's not. That's the that's the yo. That's the I. So it'd be like El Chupacabra. I live instead of like <laughs> lives. So, yeah. So we see Eladio and he's working at a construction site and he's all sweaty and he starts calling for Culver. And then he notices he's sweating yellow and he stumbles around and he gets some water out of this water cooler. And then Soledad arrives and he picks up a heavy metal pipe and he starts calling for Eladio. Meanwhile, we see that the spigot of the cooler that Eladio touched now has stuff growing on it. So Soledad looks around the site and then he reaches a porta potty. He yells through the door for Eladio to come out so he can spit in his face. But there's no answer, so Soledad opens the door. Inside, he finds Culver, the foreman, and he's dead. And he's surrounded by green fungal growth, and he has spores coming out of his mouth. So Soledad closes the door, which, you know, don't blame him there. And then we see Culver's truck, and it's driving straight at him. And Eladio is at the wheel. But then Eladio pulls onto the road and drives away. Whoa. So it's weird, creepy. So Eladio goes to this house, and this is apparently where a young woman named Gabrielle, who's his cousin, is working as a housekeeper. Do they say she's? A, I was wondering what the relationship was because they never explained who she you is. Know, they, she just shows up and he's like, Gabrielle, Gabrielle. Maybe I and assumed that she was his cousin. She seems to know everybody. So I don't know, maybe it's her sister. I don't know. But yeah, I thought. For some reason, my brain went cousin, but you're right. I don't think it actually specifies, so I don't actually know. Do they give her name at any point? I forget if they give her last name or not. I think he calls her name. I think he uses her name. No, but her last name. Do they use? Oh no, I don't. I don't know. I don't think so. Okay, because obviously, if it was a sister, we assume she's not married, so it would have the same last name as them. Yeah, which we know is Buente, but I don't think they say. So yeah, I'm not sure. They she knows them. So yeah, she's either related or a friend or something. Mm-hmm. So he calls her through the window and she opens the door and she whispers, what are you doing here? And he tells her that he's going to Mexico and he asks her to come with him. She asks if he's lost his mind and if he wants her to lose her job. He says he's scared and his brother wants to kill him for something he didn't do. Gabrielle says that they're saying he's the chupacabra and that he killed Maria and many more. He cries and he insists that he's not a killer. And she tells him to be quiet so her boss doesn't hear him. He says he needs help and he needs money. So she tells him that her job at the market pays her tonight. But Eladios tells her that he can't wait. And then he runs off and hops a fence. Yeah. Cousin seems to work. Sister wouldn't work because he says my brother. Right. right? Not our brother. He would have said our brother. 
And then if she was like Maria's sister, I'm not sure she would be super willing to help him if he's the one that people think killed her. So, yeah, you may be on it with the cousin thing. So. Yeah, but I, I think you're right. I don't think it says I think I just assumed. <laughs> okay. Yeah. We're just supposed to assume that all like migrant workers are related somehow or something or know each yeah. other, I guess. Because they know. all they all by sight, they all know Eladio the Chupacabra, everybody there. So yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> So Scully calls Mulder from the biolab and she says she thinks he's right, that Eladio is responsible for those two deaths by spreading an enzyme, probably by touch. And Mulder says he saw Eladio and he was unaffected. And Scully says that he could be a carrier of some kind, like a typhoid Mary. And Scully warns Mulder that it's extremely important that he doesn't come in direct contact with him or the fungus. He must not touch it, inhale it, or whatever. And at that moment, Lozano is like getting ready to open the porta potty, and Mulder's like, mm, "Don't open that! Don't, don't hear it." So Mulder then says he knows this is crazy, but maybe it's aliens. And then he's like, "Okay, what I actually mean is that the four TN transients the woman described they could have been caused by an object falling at high speed through the atmosphere, creating a sonic boom and a flash of light. What astronomers called a bolide, created by a meteorite or a piece of extraplanetary material." The yellow rain could have been caused by space debris hitting a nearby lake and superheating the water, setting it skyward, which means this is alien. <laughs> I don't know where he's going to find a lake there because <laughs> the nearest like real lakes are not close. So we don't usually have lakes right next to like farming tracks and stuff. Uh -huh. Although they don't really do a lot of farming in this. Mainly it's like they seem to be doing construction, which is also valid. But yeah. So, I don't know. Anyway, I don't think anyone has been to Fresno who worked on this episode. So, <laughs> Lozano looks at Mulder strangely, and on the phone, Scully tells him, like, that's all beside the point right now. Your alien theory, Mulder. You need to find the man who may be spreading it. And so, Mulder hangs up, and Lozano's like, oh, you got your own stories, too. So. He's not wrong. Yeah. And then the barber pulls up in his car and calls out to them, and Lozano seems to know him by name. And then the barber says that he hears they're looking for the chupacabra. And for a modest fee, he can tell them where he might be found. Which now, not only is Lozano racist, he actually might be in on the whole coyote thing. Which is Yeah. Cool. Super cool. When I saw this scene, I'm like, okay, both these dudes are going to end up dead by the end of this episode. I know that for sure. So <laughs> I was not proven wrong. Spoiler. So. Yeah, they don't seem like they're great people, so... Nope. And we always got to punish people, right? Like, that's what happened in Hell Money, right? Hell Money, directed by Tucker Gates. You got to put, even though you know, he came around at the end, he was being bad. And so he had to be punished. Mm -hmm. So, yep. So at a truck stop gas station, Lozano and Mulder get eyes on Eladio. They see him. He's coughing and walking between trucks. And so Mulder calls his name and he runs. And then Mulder warns Lozano not to touch Eladio. And they chase him. And then some big rigs are like honking their horn. They're about to run out in front of it. And then like at some point, like a bunch of people jump out of the back of one of the trucks. So great. They're, we're just totally getting that whole thing going on. And then Eladio dives under a truck between the wheels to get away. And then when the truck is finally passed, he's gone. And then they're trying to find him. And then we get an aerial shot of them like trying to figure out where he is. And we see he's in the bed of a truck with a bunch of goats driving away. 
Mm-hmm. So it's like a wall back, and so you can't see. So. so then we're at Highway 99 in Fresno County. And Scully and Mulder are standing on the bed of the truck that Eladio left the truck stop in. And all of the goats are now dead. And Scully says, gross, which to be fair, it's pretty gross seeing the goats are all like. Yeah, because they're all green. They're all green and dead. And they're, yeah, it's. it's So they walk over to Lozano and Mulder asks how he keeps eluding them. And Lozano says, these people are invisible. They're cheap labor. They pick crops, clean houses, and people look right past them. Fukita arrives at the scene. I'm not sure why. But she's there and she's saying chupacabra and she looks at the dead goats and she's like, can a man do this? Like, you know, <laughs> obviously the chupacabra. And she tells Lozano that Eladio went to see his cousin, Gabriella. I guess they did say cousin. Oh, they did. OK, that's where you must have got it from. I missed that. that so. Yeah, I must have gotten it from there. I wrote these recaps. It's just been a while. So I forgot. <laughs> I mean, I watched this episode this morning, but I didn't. I must have glazed right past that part. So, yeah. But she tells him that Eladio went to see his cousin asking for money. And he says he didn't kill anyone. So Lozano, Scully and Mulder go to Gabriella's apartment. She opens the door and Lozano's like, where is he? And she insists that Eladio isn't there. Scully suggests that Lozano check the back. Meanwhile, Mulder asks Gabriella about Soledad. And she's like, he's not here either. I'm alone. So Mulder asks if she's seen either of them. And she says yes, but she's afraid because of what they say about Eladio. And Scully tells her that Eladio is very sick. And if he comes here, she must not let him in. She needs to call the police. Lozano comes out from the back and says no one is there. And then he tells Gabriella he'll be watching her. And so they leave and she closes the door. I'm surprised Lozano didn't try to arrest Gabriella because of... Eladio is her cousin, then, I mean, there's the possibility that she is possibly illegal, too. Yeah, I don't know. know. I mean, not necessarily, but yeah, I don't know. This whole... I know. So Scully and Lozano get back in the truck, but Mulder says he thinks they should hold up for a minute. Something is going on in there. So he wants to wait. Yeah, wants to wait. He's got an idea. He thinks something might be going down. Don't question Mulder. Mulder's always right. We know that. That's the rule. That's the rule of the series, right? Mulder is always right. And every once in a while, he's wrong just because you always have to have an exception. Yeah, he can't be right every time. He's got to be exception. For the most part. Yeah, he's always right. And Highway 99 does go through Fresno County and Fresno. Um, It's a major highway through California and up into Oregon. And it keeps going. So, yeah, I think it goes up into Canada, honestly. So, yeah, it's a big one. And that's why Fakita was there because it's just some little dinky place that like all the migrants, you know, hang out. So that's why she was at Highway 99 because it's not a big thing at all. Yeah. Mm. Anyway, La Ranchera Market in downtown Fresno. So there probably is a La Ranchera Market in Fresno because there's pretty much a La Ranchera Market in like every town in Central California. So it's a very common name. Eladio enters the store and he has boils on his face now and his skin looks kind of little grayish and and then he just reaches into a bin of nuts and starts eating them like and then the clerk sees him and the clerk tells him hey this isn't a restaurant and so spooked Eladio kind of falls back and then he knocks the bins over spilling stuff everywhere and he runs away and the clerk yells after him saying hey you gotta come clean this up and then 
stops and then he bends down and a bunch of the nuts are covered in fungus. Ooh. Yeah. It looks like black fungus, but when they zoom in on it, it's actually really dark green fungus. It is. And the clerk so. reaches down and picks one up too. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's some fast acting stuff, man. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Also, it seems to activate fungus that is on something. So those nuts were probably gross anyway. And this <laughs> yeah, just made seriously. Because it, it's not like he's spreading the fungus. He's activating whatever thing happens to be on, which is why everything is different, right? All the different funguses are different that people are dying from. It just happens to be what you have on your body. And so, which means the other guy probably died from poop fungus because he was in the porta potty. But Ew. <laughs> <laughs> Soledad comes out of Gabriella's apartment and then Mulder and Scully and Lozano are parked outside, staking out the building. So they see him and then Soledad gets in his truck and peels off. And then we see Eladio. He's on a payphone and he calls Gabriella and he asks where she is. And he's the payphone we'll find out is right outside the store. So I, I don't know. The clerk was like, <laughs> just didn't go very far. Well, I but guess anyway, no one really chased him out because the clerk stopped to the, pick up the mess. So the person who's at the front of the store doesn't pay a lot of attention to what's going on in the store, as we'll find out shortly. So, so Ladio calls Gabriella from the payphone, which is right in front of the store, and he asks where she is and why she didn't come to work. And Gabriella tells him that Soledad, she can only lie to him for so long. So I guess maybe that's why the person in front doesn't know what's going on, because like Gabriella didn't show up for a shift, and so someone else should be there. So maybe she's super tired or she's overworked. Who knows? Anyway, Ladio doesn't answer, and then we see the phone is dangling from the cord in the booth, and then a car pulls up and it's Soledad and he goes into the store and he starts looking for Eladio and then Scully and Lozano arrive and they go in the store and he turns and he aims his gun at them, but they have their guns on him and Scully's like, drop your weapon. And then Mulder comes at him from another side and repeats for him to drop his gun. And then Soledad says like, I only want vengeance. My brother killed Maria. I loved her. Oh, and then he drops his gun and he falls to his knees and he's crying. And Lozano cuffs him. And then Scully turns and sees something. And she's like, uh, Mulder? And they go and look. And in the middle of this big old giant space on the floor is the clerk lying dead, covered in this giant mold that spread all the way back to the like bins and to the fridge at the end of the store. And Mulder's like, he's been here. So yeah. no one in the store realized that was happening. So that's cool. Yeah, it's great. So then Eladio knocks on Gabriella's door and she opens it, but immediately realizes something is wrong with him. And she asks what happened and she kind of backs up like away from him. And he asks what she's afraid of. She tells him to look at his face. And so he does look at his face in the mirror and his face is misshapen with gray blotches. She's like, you are what they say. You killed Maria. And he's like, no, no. And he cries. And she's like, you're the chupacabra. And he's like, no. Yeah, that was my dramatic recreation. <laughs> it's a dramatic reenactment of the scene. And then it's a commercial. Yeah. And his makeup in this scene, it'll get more dramatic later. But in this one, it looks a lot. I don't know if you've ever seen The Thing from Another World from 1951. James Arnaz plays the creature. It's John Carpenter's The Thing as a remake from that. And it's based on a book. But it looks a lot like James Arnaz's makeup as the alien because he's kind of like a in that movie he's kind of like a carrot monster like, he's huh. like a vegetable matter beast instead of being like the shapeshifter thing that happens later I, mean, I think it's actually in the book too but they couldn't really do that in 1951 so they just went with like some like 
vegetable Frankenstein looking monster. But it kind of looks like that, like the way his head is shaped and that kind of thing, this makeup. And then also, I just in just now with making the connection, the last line that occurs in the Simpson files when he says, you know, look to the skies and then he messes up and says skis. That actually is the last line of the thing from another world. So, oh, gotcha. Yeah. We didn't mention that in the episode because I didn't think it was that important, but it just now I was thinking about it. I was like, oh, wait, that's the connection too. Probably unintended. So, yeah. Because this aired the same night as that. Dun, dun, dun. Yes. Yeah. So, if you were watching it in real time back in the 90s, you might have watched that. And then whatever was, oh, it was King of the Hill. And then this. Mm-hmm. And it would have been. Yeah, Fox's the series Sunday premiered King of the Hill, the very right. first episode ever. So, so pretty, yeah. pretty solid Sunday night, really. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. Except, you know, this episode. Anyway. (laughs) So Mulder... Tori's Tori's giving us a clue again about what her rating is going to (laughs) be. I mean, I don't hold my cards close to my chest, let's be honest. So Mulder and Scully enter Gabriella's apartment, and she says, he's not here. He's gone. And Scully asks where. And Gabriella says, to Mexico, where he can hide with his terrible face. (laughs) (laughs) So dramatic. (laughs) She gave him all her money because she was afraid. I mean, this is supposed to be like a telenovela. Right. I know. Yeah. So she gave him all her money because she was afraid the Chupacabra would kill her too. And Lozano wishes them luck in finding Eladio and says he's going to go process the brother. So back in the car, Scully is worried about Eladio going to a crowded place and spreading what he's carrying. Mulder thinks Gabriella is lying. If he really thinks he killed Maria, he won't be going to Mexico. And Scully's like, well, where would he be going then? And Mulder says, the same place Lozano is going. Eladio will want to face his brother. So he starts the car and he tells Scully to use her cell phone to get a hazmat team assembled. Mm. Yeah. So then we see Flaquita and she's in her home and she hears something and she opens the door and she sees Lozano. Yelling for Eladio, telling him he has to be a man and face his brother. And then Eladio pops out from where he was hiding and he runs. And Lozano chases him. And there's a gunshot. And Vaquita walks towards the noise and she finds Lozano laying in the mud with yellow fungus growing on his face. And then there's a bright light and some aliens come over the hill. All <laughs> aliens, all yep. naked. This gray alien, no clothes, come over the hill. It's four of them. And Lakita flees. And then she's back telling her story. So we're bookending this with how we open, right? Because she was telling her story. And she says, more chupacabras came from the sky. She slammed her door and prayed they wouldn't come to kill her too. And then one of the women listening asked what will happen to Soledad. And Lakita says he was taken up by a chupacabra. He'll be made to suck the blood of sick and dying goats. And then another woman is like, that's not what Gabriella said. Gabriella said she lied to the FBI. And then she relates what Gabriella told her. And we see Lozano and Soledad chasing Eladio. And Lozano fires a shot into the sky and tells Eladio to turn around and face his brother. And Soledad says he killed Maria because she wouldn't love him because she only loved one man. And it was him. And Lozano takes the gun and tells Eladio not to make him shoot him in the back. Turn around like a man. And then Eladio's like, I'm no man. And he turns around and his whole head is misshapen. And his face is all gray. And he says, I'm a chupacabra. <laughs> and then we find out that Gabriella is telling this part of the story mm-hmm. to a group of men. So we're just jumping from narrator to narrator. 
Yeah, we're jumping around a lot. That's really surprising from the guy who brought us killer house cats. So like Nick said, she's telling the story to a group of assembled men. And she says that Lozano told Soledad to shoot, but Soledad could not. He could not shoot his own brother. And Lozano urged him, but Soledad couldn't because he knew Gabriella would never forgive him. Lozano tried to pull the gun from Soledad's hand, calling him a coward, but Soledad fought back and the gun went off. And La Migra Lozano fell dead. <gasps> and the day laborers listening to the story really like this part. Yeah, because the immigration guy died. They're like, yeah, yeah. yeah. But Gabriela says no. Lozano brought Soledad to kill Eladio so he would not be cursed. So God cursed Soledad for his treachery and turned him into a chupacabra like his brother. <gasps> Someone asks if she's seen him and Gabriela says no. Together, they ran to Mexico. And we see that the graffiti has been modified with red paint. Yeah, they they added a red S to Chupacabra. So it's Chupacabras. And then they added N Mexico with an exclamation point. So now it says L Chupacabras vive in Mexico. So they didn't change the L to Los, if they're going to do that. Mm-hmm. And then they didn't reconjugate Vive, because now it should be Viven. They yeah. could put an N on it, and then it would have been for two people. So Yeah, that's twice. very similar to how French works. Like, if it's two people, it would be E-N-T, right? So yes. They are both languages of love. Yeah, they are both. So. <laughs> I, when I was in uh, high school, I was in um, biology class with my friend Sam, and she took Spanish and I took French, but we could like quiz each other. And a lot of times it was really similar and it was just really funny how similar French and Spanish can be. Yeah. Yeah. So Mulder and Scully are sitting in Skinner's office and Skinner's like, El Chupacabra? Really? It's like, frankly, I'm confused by this story. And Mulder's like, I don't blame you. And Scully says they can't exactly explain themselves. Mulder says they arrived just after the hazmat team. And then we see this story so now we're getting what Mulder says and we see the hazmat team coming over the hill in white hazmat suits looking exactly like well they don't look like but they're basically doing the same scene that we saw when Flakita saw the aliens come over the hill right so she so probably saw the hazmat saw team, the yeah. hazmat guys and they're carrying one of those plastic chamber things that we saw in F Masculata and then Mulder says they did find a witness but her testimony was highly questionable <laughs> we can kind of assume who the witness was they found <laughs> So can guess, uh, can guess. (laughs) Scully says the hazmat team was able to contain the fungal infection within the migrant camp. No additional casualties have been reported, nor have they found traces of any more of the enzyme. Mulder jumps in to add except on Lozano's body. They found him dead with a bullet to the chest and the fungus already eating away at him. Skinner asks what happened to the brothers and Scully says they were nowhere to be found. Soledad's gut was found 10 miles away near the car of the barber who was also dead mm. Mulder says the brothers apparently paid for a ride to Mexico but didn't get very far and then we see the car window and the fungus covered body of the barber Mm-mm-mm. so Skinner says these men are still at large carrying this fungus Scully corrects him that it's an enzyme not important Scully you know, you know what he means <laughs> let me let me correct you boss while you're already mad that we're not giving you a story you think is any good and the brothers seem to have an abnormal tolerance for it Skinner asks where the enzyme came from and Mulder says outer space sir 
Skinner sighs and he's like, this is the story you're asking me to report. He's also not hearing a good explanation for why they're not finding these men. And Scully says they have a way of being almost invisible. And then we see the brothers walking down the road and both of their heads are misshapen and headlights approach them, but the car passes by and Mulder says, the truth is nobody cares. That's the end. Yeah. Yeah. So they've kind of transformed from being like more like a Frankenstein head. Now being like a big bulbous, almost yeah, it's alienoid style head. Bulbous and yeah. gray and kind of like, I guess if you were a chupacabra, but like bigger. Yeah. I don't think chupacabras look like that. I've never yeah. seen pictures where chupacabras look like that. So, cause they kind of pull the Jersey devil on us. They are talking about one thing, but then doing something else. So I could probably go on about it and talk about what chupacabras really are and where the stories came from and how it went from Puerto Rico to the Americas. And But I'm not going to because I kind of don't feel that it's worth it. I'll have links in the show notes, though, if you want to look at it or you want to read it instead of just hearing me talking about it. You totally can. So, yeah, I don't think this episode deserves my time to describe all that. So there. Mm. <laughs> Because this episode was just like, let's use a Hispanic sounding monster as a basis so we can write a story about Mexican migrant workers and be kind of racist while acting like we're not being racist and actually care about Mexican migrant workers. Well, I think the racism is to show the racism that is perpetrated on the migrant workers. So I don't think it's being racist to be racist. I think it's to demonstrate that. While being racist. So. But I do think like you can you can be racist and not mean to be racist. No, so, I know like, that. But I mean, I think that so. a lot of the racism in the episode is meant to display the racism that happens to these people. It's not meant to be racist for racist sake. It's meant to say this is what these people face. It's just not done very well. Yeah. And also they seem to I don't know if this was the intention. I'm wondering if maybe John Shebon or someone else in the makeup department has ever seen Matongo, which is, it's a Japanese monster movie from 1963, which is usually shown on television as attack of the mushroom people. Okay. So they do kind of have mushroomy heads at the end. Yeah. Yeah. Also, there was a period in the Hulk comics when the leader, instead of having just a big tall head for his gamma powered brain, he had like a big bulbous brain head instead. So it's kind of like that, too. Huh, so okay. maybe they read some Hulk comics. Maybe they watched Matango. It was I watched it on KMPH, Channel 26, afternoon, action theater all the time as a kid. So maybe, uh, yeah. yeah. Kind of got that vibe going on, too. Yeah. Also where I saw a thing from another world. So. Nice. And Cole took the Night Stalker. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. So I feel like John Shivan obviously has stuff to say. And the thing is, like, I don't seem to disagree with his main message. Like Tessos dos Pichos was like, hey, maybe we shouldn't take artifacts from indigenous cultures, especially when they're sacred and they tell us not to. Like, that's a bad thing to do. And this one is, hey, migrant workers are abused and mistreated and used for their labor and then otherwise forgotten and left to fend for themselves with no resources. I agree. I don't disagree. I just don't think either of the episodes work very well. I think this one in particular gets lost in the middle and then it ends in such a weird way. Like Skinner is me at the end of this episode. He's very confused. He doesn't know what's happening. 
And he's not sure why there's not like this search effort for these guys that are carrying a very deadly pathogen or enzyme or whatever you want to call it. Like, why aren't they chasing that down? Like, that's dangerous. Like, I don't, what? Because they're invisible, Tori. They can't find them. (laughs) It's just, it's so, it doesn't make any sense. So I think it started okay, but then it just like got lost along the way. Not as bad as a million house cats. That, but still, like there, I still have more questions than answers They kill every living thing they touch, which is, that's going to make friends. And then. They also like emit like pusher power where like you can't see them. They they're yeah. wearing like a big badge that says Well, and also they and can't be that hard to find because there's gonna be a trail of bodies along the way and a trail of fungus. And but then you're always one step behind them. You can't catch up. Yeah, I don't know. It just didn't make a lot of sense. So anyway, I looked up <laughs> So. I looked up. I know you are. Yeah, I'm just I'm just saying. It doesn't make a lot of sense. I looked up uh, what episodes of Supernatural John Shivon wrote because I was curious. Um, and I will go ahead and say I've seen Leonard Betts. I know he co-writes that. I like that episode a lot. Spoiler, but I think it works really well because he has like other people to temper him. I think maybe when I'm he was say, yeah, and he's like you know if you want to just be like if you want to just split it up like a pie, he's 33 percent of that episode. Well, yeah, so. and I think you know it's you can have a lot of. I think he has good ideas. I think he struggles getting them to the finish line at least on the x-files you don't think he has good ideas (laughs) no i was i was that was that was a yes that was okay mm, gotcha gotcha yeah um so i was just kind of looking to see what he did for supernatural um he mostly wrote episodes in seasons one and two so i haven't seen them in a very long time because when i started rewatching, i started at season six so i haven't seen the first seasons Notably, he wrote Everybody Loves a Clown in season two, which establishes Sam Winchester's fear of clowns, which I actually think is a really interesting part of Sam's character. And Supernatural is really good at bringing stuff back. So unlike Mulder's fear of fire, like Sam's Sam's fear of clowns comes back over and over like it is something he has to deal with continuously. So I think that's good. Also, it's I the episode- wonder if we're ever going to get an episode that directly contradicts Mulder's red green blindness. Probably, or or like, yeah, I, I wouldn't doubt it. Or if we already have, like, does he know his speedo is red? Maybe. I mean, it probably said red on the tag. Oh, maybe. I don't know. Um, that episode also introduces Ellen and Joe. So I don't know if he created those characters. If so, good job, buddy. But that's where they first appear is in that episode. So he did a couple episodes. He did like five in season one, four in season two. I don't remember them because I haven't seen them in a really long time. But I think he probably got better (laughs) as he was working, I'm assuming. Um, He also. I mean, those would be, that would be what, 2000. When did Supernatural start? 2005? I think so, around then. Yeah. Okay. So about 10 years after this. So, yeah. Okay. And when he talked about the difference between writing for the X-Files and Supernatural, he mentioned that like the tone was kind of different. And so like for Supernatural, they kind of took them as more of like a popcorn movie of the week, movie to movie. And it was more of like a fun matinee pace than the X-Files, which had a lot of like darker government conspiracy threads going through it. So that was sort of his approach. So it was a little different. Hmm. Yeah, maybe it's important to find your wheelhouse right i think so yeah and i mean obviously i don't know when john shivan started writing for television i don't think these episodes of the x-files so far have been ones that we've really enjoyed but you know i mean he's going to work with other people on the show and that's going to help him 
probably get better and learn how to kind of stick the landing on some of these stories, which I just don't think he's done so far yet. Okay. I mean, maybe he's like Glenn Morgan. And the reason why I'm giving him so much shit is because deep down, I'm like, yeah, man, you're like me. You have things to say. You're just really bad at it. I don't know. So... Yeah, I mean, that's the thing is, like, I don't ever, I'm not like, wow, I disagree with your message. Like, I don't disagree with your message. I just, I think it's kind of heavy handed and it's not working as an episode. Like, that part's fine. Like, the haunted Amaru that's exacting revenge is fine. It's just (laughs) how it's doing that doesn't work. And we know they had tons of script problems with that episode. This episode, it makes sense, but, like, the ending just falls off. It's like there's this all this buildup, and then there's this confrontation between Soledad and Eladio, and Lozano dies, and the barber dies, and they just walk away, and no one does anything about it. It's just weird. It's weird. So doing a little live research here, I was checking, because you said you didn't know when he started his career. So his first credit on IMDb is a movie called Point Doom, Okay. Which is D-U-M-E. It might be Dume. I'm not sure. He co-wrote it with someone named Mark J. Gordon and another guy named Frank Spotnitz. And then the next stuff seems to be X-Files. Gotcha. Gotcha. So this is pretty early in his career. And he definitely has ideas. I don't think that's his problem. I think he's just struggling to get through the episode and have it all connect and make sense, which, you know... (laughs) Obviously, yeah. Tessos to Speechos did not. The walk did, but it wasn't very satisfying. And then this one, again, it's kind of like, it makes sense, but it's not a real satisfying ending. And the episode just feels really jumbled and kind of all over the place. Okay. I like the multiple perspectives of like Flakita seeing the aliens and then Gabriella having her version of the story. And then it's just a hazmat team. I thought that was kind of fun, but yeah, it still doesn't make a lot of sense. Yeah, I mean, there were yeah, there were parts on it, so. I think overall it's better than Taste of Beachos. Yes. Yeah, it so, is. Yeah. And I guess that's a good transition. Yeah, I should look and see what I rated Taste of Speechos. Let me pull up the list. We gave that a three. Okay. So. Yeah. So I think I'm going to give this one a four. I mean, it's not okay. worse than home. It's just not. Yeah, I just ended up with more questions than answers. And like, I was all excited when this episode started. My first note, which I took out, was like, yes, El Chupacabra. Finally, this is going to be really good. It's going to be aliens and weird Mm -hmm. stuff. And then it's just not. And I was like, oh, okay, sure, fine. Yeah, this is definitely like we were promised Chupacabras. Yes, exactly. I was promised Chupacabras. I don't feel like I got Chupacabras. I got some weird fungal thing, which would be fine. But then what is it even doing to their heads? I don't understand. Anyway. Mm -hmm. It's giving them special mind powers that make them invisible, I guess. Yeah, I I guess so. That's why I think, I think it's, I'm going to go on the record and say that I think it might be a Montango thing. I think it's a mushroom people. I was like, it's a fungus thing. Mushroom people. Let's yeah, I mean, it looks like mushroom people. Does make sense. So, so, yeah, and also like it's not exactly like mushroom people, but it's also like it's like a combination of like mushroom people and aliens. And some people are like, "Oh, 
chupacabras might be aliens. And so then it's like we can just match things up. But it's done in that way. Uh, it's not as egregious as the Jersey Devil. Where right. Just said, like, just it's a, a Bigfoot, but it's not a Bigfoot. It's just like feral people. And but yeah, they basically just pulled like a bait and switch on us. And so. Yep. Yeah. Like they made sure they got some goats in there so we could have goat sucker. And then they were like, mm-hmm. yeah. Spanish. And we can just do whatever we want after that. So. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna. Oh, I guess I should rate it too. Yeah, uh, you also. I was yeah. waiting. I'm like, I'm what's just, your rating? I'm just, I'm just. I'm just so into this. Well, the thing is, I already typed my rating into the spreadsheet, so I oh, forgot. Oh, so you're paying attention. So I'm also. Gotcha. I'm also giving it a four. Okay. So. Wow. Same. Same. We're we're on the same. Mm-hmm. Same rating. in a row. Yeah. Boom. Yeah, it's fun. Yep. I guess yep, we'll see yep, if that yep. continues. <laughs> I, I don't know. I mean, I kind of think probably not. Yeah, probably not. It's, but yeah, you never that know. would be boring if we both were like, yes, yes, I agree. I agree with you. <laughs> and I agree with you. I totally agree with you. Oh, I so agree with you. Yeah, so that'd be boring. We don't want to do that. So we might have to start faking stuff if that starts happening. <laughs> okay. But uh, yeah. So been a while since i got to good on some good rants that was kind of nice i'm sure everyone's happy to hear those again oh yeah 100 percent. yeah as i mentioned last episode if you don't want to hear those you can check out the patreon so yeah it's less rants less rant still research yeah there's still a lot of deep dives i like some weird stuff but it's usually not ranty weird stuff it's like this is interesting to me so yeah that caveat some fascinating stuff you come up with and pull up so like i said i will try and find links anywhere that's just my brain so <laughs> i mean i as we're recording i put a link between the springfield files in this episode with the whole thing from another world so yeah yeah that wasn't planned oh well my feet listening <laughs> live action boom 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 so yep want to keep hearing what you want to hear some more of that keep listening so we'll talk to you later. Not to this episode because it's ending now. <laughs> yeah. Tori. I was working on my segue. Just see what I have to work with, people. See what I have to work with. So we should listen to right. the credits and also post credits. <laughs> Bye. Bye. <laughs> I want to rewatch is hosted by Tori and Nick and edited by Lazy M Productions. That's right. We made this. We also make a Patreon-only podcast that I keep talking about, and you guys are like, shut up. So, I mean, you should listen. I, you know, it's good. It's good. Like it's it. a lot of good stuff on there. It really is. I'm. It's fun. So, anyway, do whatever you want. But whatever you do, be sure to join us next time for The X-Files Season 4, Episode 12, where we're going to talk about the Super Bowl. And yes. then also an episode called leonard betts mm-hmm. and together we'll try to figure out if the, the truth, truth is, is still, still out there, there.
There was one thing I realized I meant to talk about in Paper Hearts, but now I need to go write that in my season wrap-up, so don't forget. Oh, yeah, yeah, so, definitely. It was nothing super important. I was just talking about the... I really like the uh, the little whimsical music they did when he was dreaming. And the oh, yeah, dancing. yeah, that was nice. So, it was a little whimsy. It kind of reminded me of um, Six Feet Under for some reason, and I'm not sure why. Okay. I know I listen to that soundtrack a lot, so there's probably that kind of like whimsy in there a little bit, probably. So, yeah. But yeah, I'm going to put that in my notes. I forgot to mention that. I really liked that. I thought that was good. Good choice, Mark Snow. Good job. Yeah. Oh, it was a good way to do it. I like the way they did it. They could have gone a bunch of different ways on that. And I think they did the way they did it was good. Yeah, I think so too, especially with the whole Alice in Wonderland theme and stuff and the light. Yeah, it was good. 